Well, good morning to everyone. Uh, I begin this morning by telling you that there has been much on my mind since I saw you the last. That should be no great surprise to anyone. Back in my oil field days, one of the things that they used to do, they would send us off for a week and try to help us figure out who we were and what we were doing and why we function the way that we function. And one of these trips, we went to Chicago. And before we went, they had us fill out a questionnaire that was over 300 questions. Surely if anybody's going to figure me out, they can do it in 300 questions. So one of the things that they did by using those 300 questions, and I've told you this before, is they came up with a four-box matrix. They called it Johari's Window. sounded pretty unusual until, again, we found out that it was just because these two guys named Joe and Harry had come up with this. So... Uh, kind of lost some of its uniqueness, but what they would do by taking all these questions that they would put three points on this matrix, and I'll describe the matrix to you. Up here in the top left-hand box, which was painted red, was a title called The Doer. Over here on the green, top right, was The Talker. Down here on the blue was The Thinker, and over here in the yellow was The Counter. They would give you three points. They would tell you where you are in your normal life, just everyday life. They would give you a point on there for what happened when you needed to become active, how you handle things. And then they would put a point on there that would tell you, this is where you go when you're under stress. So you'd get three points. And they would hope that when they connected the dots of those three points, it would create a pretty good triangle. Because what that would tell you is that there's a clear difference between where you are in your normal state and where you go when you really have to get busy. But really, they want to know where did you go when you got under stress. Because the bigger the area in the triangle, the more distinct the differences were. So when it became my turn and they gave me my information, some of this is going to surprise you because most of you would have me up here in this talker bunch. Not a single point. I mean, I couldn't have been further away from the talker. When they gave me my normal, I was about a quarter of an inch from the bottom right-hand bottom as a thinker. That's who I am. And if you hang around me very long, you know it's true. I'm a thinker. When it required me to go into the active state, I went to the far top corner as the doer, up in the red. And when I got under stress, that quarter-inch space between me and that bottom corner, there was my other dot in there at an eighth of an inch. Straight line. No difference. They said, you're the worst. The hardest to tell when you're under stress or not. But I'm a thinker. So it's no great surprise that I can tell you that between, in this week since I saw you last, I have had many thoughts processing many things. And sometimes those things are just very, very deep. I go through these very deep seasons of considering and pondering and listening and watching. And I, I can't tell you that I love them, but I, I don't dread them. Because I never know the outcomes. I put hard questions before God. Things that are unresolved. Things that I just can't make sense of. Things that happen and things that you just, you really would like an answer, but you just sit before the Lord. So I've been in one of those seasons for a while now, and the, and the messages over the last few weeks reflect that I have been in this season. Challenges put before me take me there. Uncertainty puts me there. Unanswered questions puts me there. So the message from this morning also comes from that depth. Now, I can give you a 
Maybe this is a warning. I, I, I don't want it to come across this way, but sometimes when the messages come from somewhere deep, they can come across as heavy. What God wants this morning is for you to be encouraged. He wants you to hear what He has to say to you and let those words become lifting to you. Challenging, yes, but being encouraged that what He's asking is something that the full provision has already been given. But it is going to, it, I hope, it makes you consider some things about your own life. If God's going to give it, then I'm sure He's giving it on purpose so that you can consider and ponder these things as well. So the message comes from that depth. I want to start this morning by listening to a song by Casting Crowns. And the name of this very familiar song is Who Am I? So if you'd play that, please. Look on me with 
But because of what you've done Not because of what I've done But because of who you are I am a flower quickly fading Here today and gone tomorrow A wave tossed in the ocean A vapor in the wind Still you hear me when I'm calling Lord, you catch me when I'm falling You told me I love that song, and I I really love a scripture that goes very much with it. When Moses was before God, and God was telling him that I want you to go, and I want you to be my messenger, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him to set my children free. So we have that in Exodus chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse 7, if you'd like to go there. This is that story. Exodus 3, 7, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land into a good land and a a large, and unto a land flowing with milk and honey, and to the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come up unto me. And I've also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you unto Pharaoh, that ye may bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I? There it is. Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? We hear the song and we hear the scripture. And we can certainly say that from each of, each of those. We truly matter to God. We truly matter to God. That entire song of who am I speaks of how we know how we matter to Him. What He did to prove to us that He matters. That He died for us. That He lives in us and through us. And that He loves us. Everything that the, that the song says. We are His We matter to Him. But the great question of this morning is, does He matter to us? You see, again, I can look at what He has done, how He has demonstrated who He is and how He loves us. And by looking at at all that mountain of evidence of His death, His burial, His resurrection, His giving us the Holy Spirit, His love for us that is unconditional. His bringing us from death into life and a life abundance. I can look at this preponderance of information over here and know that I matter to Him. So shouldn't I be able to look at the preponderance of information over here about me? Should I not be able to look at all the evidence of my life? Look at all the the, the messages I send him, the time I spend with him, the prayer that that, that he asked for, that daily life, him living in us. Shouldn't I be able to look 
at all this information about me and see the very testimony, as Jay said. Let my life be a testimony that, the, that there's a river of water flowing out of me as it did out of the temple. Let my life be that testimony. Shouldn't you be able to look at my life and conclude, as we did with his, that he matters to us? Yeah, we better be able to. I can stand right here all day long and tell you he matters to me. He's important to me. He's the most significant person in my life. I can stand here and give that testimony, but I want to tell you, if there's not a life over here to match that, then I will draw a conclusion by looking at this life and the preponderance of information about my testimony, I will draw a new conclusion that apparently he doesn't matter much at all. Does he matter to you? And how does it look that he matters to you? We know he loved us. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. He went away that the Spirit of God might come to live within us. Everything again that he did, everything that he is, points to how much we matter. Does everything we do, everything we are, point to how much he matters to us? On the largest scale of measurement, we could all say he matters to us because He has given us life itself as believers. I want, however, this morning to look a bit more specifically at just a few questions. But before I get to them, I want to correctly frame these. Do you feel like you matter? Do you have a desire to matter? I had this question in my office just a couple of weeks ago. A person who's sitting in there saying, you know, I woke up today getting ready to go to work again, again, Again and again, and recognizing that the entirety of my life hasn't stood for very much. It was a strange awakening on that day for him. He was really heavy about that fact, and I told him, I said, but you have to recognize that there has not been a single day of your life wasted yet. Not yet. Now, if you continue in this to the end of your days, then I will tell you, yes, that your life has largely been wasted before the Lord. But God said upon any day that you turn, any day that you accept me, any day that you let me live in you, I will not only change your present, I'll not only change your future, I will give you back the years that the locusts have devoured, I will rewrite your past so that all the blessings you feel like lost will be gained unto you. God can do that. Not a single day lost. So you haven't wasted your life yet. I tell you, that's great news to, to, to a lot of us because when we're sitting here evaluating, what has my life meant? It means I go to work every day. It means I, I, I buy groceries every week. It means I pay the bills every week. But the questions to correctly frame this is, what are you adding to this world that only you can add to it? Would life be different if you weren't here? All of us can say, yeah, I wouldn't have these kids and I wouldn't have this story. It's not not on the level I would ask you to examine it. Would life be different? Are you doing something? Recognizing the reality of God in you, are you doing something that is changing the face of this world? Again, I find that this is very interesting because most people I talk to really don't have any interest that they have settled into a life that seems relatively routine and peaceful and have no great desire to do anything, whether it be large or small, 
They just kind of are getting through everything day to day. Would the future be altered if you hadn't come? Or would things pretty well look the same? Does your perception of your individual value correspond to do I matter to Him? Does your life match as it did up here in this song? Does it match the fact that I matter to Him, so I want to matter? If I matter to Him, I want to make a difference. I want to matter here. If I matter to Him, it must be for a purpose. It must be for a reason. If I matter to Him, which is what we're hearing, Moses says, God, who am I? And God says, you're the one I chose. And you're the one who's going to go. And you're going to be the one who tells Pharaoh to let my children go. And Moses in the next chapter is saying, God, I don't know about this. God says, what is that you hold in your hand? He said, it's a rod. He throw it down. Threw it down and it turned into a serpent. He said, now pick it up. He would have lost me right there. I'd have to go get Max and say, Max, I threw down my rod. It turned into a snake. Would you mind coming to my house, picking up the snake, so we can see what's going to happen next? He picked up the snake and it turned back into a staff again. So look at your hand. All of a sudden, Moses' hand covered in leprosy. Stuck it into his robe. Pulled out, there's the leprosy. Stuck it back in, comes out clean again. What was God doing? He's saying, Moses, I want you to get something. I'm sending you, but I want you to know that I'm equipping you to go. I want you to know that you are going under my word. You're going under my authority. I am going to make you matter. You may not even want to matter, but I'm going to send you, and I guarantee it to Pharaoh, to these people, you're going to matter. Because I have chosen you. Who am I? You are the deliverer of my people, and I have established you to matter. Now, which one of us in here would believe that, uh, to say, I matter to God, and believe for a second that he would tell us from that position that we don't really matter? I don't have anything for you. I just want you to know you matter. No, he says, I want you to know you matter because I want you to matter in this world. I want you to matter in ministry. I want you to matter in the love of people. I want you to matter as we give, as we share, as we go. I want you to matter. That's why you matter to me. I will propose this. If he matters to you, it will be, again, most evident if we recognize and we live that unique value of our own individual story and our own collective story as a church that he purposed or designed us to put on display. If I'm going to say over here and announce to the world he matters, it's going to be because I choose over here to live that life that He has established for me, that He has assigned to me, so that I can absolutely put Him on display. If I choose something else over here, my testimony is, He does not matter. I hope you're tracking. I hope you're understanding what I'm saying. So let's first consider ourselves on the largest scale of our lives, and that being simply as human beings who are made in the likeness of God. We read that in Genesis 1. Here we are, made in the likeness of God. What is required for that to be recognized and the value realized that we are made in His image? What has to be done? Simple. If that value is going to be recognized that we have been made in His likeness, then other people are going to have to see that likeness in us, or there is no value in Him doing it. I'm going to make you in my likeness, all of us in humanity made in His likeness, If there's going to be value in him doing that, it's going to be because others see 
that likeness in us. We're going to build this case over here. What should happen over here, if he matters to me, if I was created to be in his likeness, then people ought to be able to see that likeness in me. The next one. Narrow it down a little bit and say, as believers, Christians, people of faith, what is required for that value of us being believers, us being people of faith to be recognized? What's required for that part of our life to bring value? Simple again, that we live by faith and by obedience that is built on that faith. What should be happening here as a believer, as a person of faith, so that I can say in my testimony, he matters. What should be happening is here is that I am a person of faith, living by faith, and be obedient as that faith allows me to be obedient. Because by that, other people seeing that, it will be recognized that he matters. Let's take it down another step. We'll narrow it down a bit further and ask this question. As we know and understand that we are his children, we are the children of God. How or what is required for that value as children to be recognized that we live each day as the children of God? It can't be a statement we make. It's a life that we choose to live. If I'm going to say He matters, then I'm going to live this life that He gave me as His child. You've heard me teach on this several times, and I'll just be brief about it. Much of the Christian world, unfortunately, has been taught that we, are, that we have been saved to serve. Please never buy into that. That is absolutely not true. We were not saved. His redemptive work was not to create servants for Him. His redemptive work was to, was to establish children. Now, I want to tell you, as, as a child, I will serve Him more than any servant. I will serve out of the relationship that I have with Him as a father and a child, I'll guarantee you every day I will outserve a servant. And remember one of the biggest differences, that a servant will look at all that the master has, see the house and see the land, see the wealth, see the cattle, everything. You'll look at what the master has and the servant will see it and never believe for a second that what the master has would be given to him. He will only get that part of the master's stuff that he has worked for and that he deserves. That's why we we have to avoid this concept that we were saved to serve. A child of God, a child of the master, on the other hand, will look at everything that the father has and know by instinct that everything that he has is already his. We have to live over here recognizing that we are children of God and that everything he has We minister under an open heaven that He didn't hold anything back. Because when I live according to the reality that I'm a child of God, I will announce to the world, my Father matters. Because I'm living here because He lives there. Let's narrow it down a little bit further. We should also recognize, and this comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, that we are also an earthen vessel and we're designed for a purpose. This is what it says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. What is required? That the value of us being a vessel fit to hold Him 
What will have to be there for the value to be recognized? It's, again, so simple that we each day invite him to live in us, that vessel, and let him possess the heart and the hands that he has given us. What's required here, if I'm going to fulfill what he designed in me to be an earthen vessel, I'm going to have to ask him every day to come fill the vessel so that the excellency will be of him and not of me. And I will tell you, when we live that way, we will produce the value seen right over here, that God matters to us. The last one, to be very specific. What is your specific identity that has been spoken over you by God? I don't want to create pressure here, but how many of you know today that identity that God has spoken over you? Teresa, what is yours? Okay. Latrell, warrior. Somebody else, Max. Okay. Anybody else want to just say there's, yeah. You see, God has spoken something specific over you. There's someone here known as the messenger. There's people here named peace and joy. What has to be done so that that value of something God did that was so specific, so unique, and so purposeful in us, what is required that that value of what he's done be recognized? First of all, that I seek to know that identity, and then upon knowing that identity, I let him live that identity through me. God calls me wisdom. If that is going to have any value whatsoever, it has to become wisdom to you by him. To call me wisdom is just makes absolutely no difference. But if I let the wisdom of God that he calls me and I live according to that truth that he's established in me and you're affected by that wisdom, what I'm actually saying is that God matters. If I take that identity and I put it under a bushel, if I take that identity and I hide it in any way, the testimony is that what God did to establish me doesn't matter. I don't matter. He doesn't matter because my testimony is shouting to you that it doesn't matter to me. He must not be important to me. It's a question. Does God matter to you? If he does, how is it going to be recognized? How is it going to be understood? And how is it going to be appreciated? I want you to go with me to Galatians chapter 2. I'm going to read this passage out of the English Standard Version, which I'm sure most of you have by this time. Maybe on your phone, if you're reading the Bible on the phone. I chose this because in the King James, this is just a hard passage to follow. There are just a lot of, there's a lot of pronouns in here that you're trying to figure out who he's talking about. So I decided I would just read it from the English Standard Version. So much easier to understand. I'm going to begin reading in in verse 1. Galatians 2, verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along with me. This is where we get that Paul might have actually been away trying to understand the heart of God, hearing the voice of God in Egypt for possibly as long as 14 years. Verse 2, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. 
and from those who seem to be influential. What they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, listen to this. On the contrary, when they saw, what's he saying? Had all this going on, had this ministry, these people, who they were, I don't know. And then he says, on the contrary to all that stuff that was going on, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. What convinced these apostles that Paul's conversion was real? How could they tell now that this Jesus who he had persecuted, how could they tell now that Jesus now mattered? Because they saw it in him. They saw in him that he had been entrusted with this gospel. They saw and perceived the grace that was given to him. They saw the truth that Paul was telling that he had heard of years and years before on the road to Damascus. They saw and heard the conviction of his message and the grace that God had extended to him. They saw his obedience and his faithfulness. They saw and heard that. They saw all of this information that they were now processing about Paul, this terrorist who had been killing them and threatening them a few years earlier. They're now looking at him and believing what? As they saw his testimony, as they heard him speak, as they saw the grace that he had been given, they realized that Jesus that had never mattered to him before now mattered more than anything. How could they tell? They saw it. They saw it in him. They heard it from the words he spoke. They saw the way that he was faithful to God. They saw the, heard the testimony of Jesus Christ. The way that they could tell absolutely that there was value that Paul gave to God was by the evidence of Paul's testimony in this moment. If he didn't live it, then they wouldn't see it. Would the value then of his life be recognized? Absolutely not. If he didn't live, the life that God set before him and answer the call that God had given him on the road to Damascus, they would not have known for a second that God mattered to him at all. If we don't live and they don't see, will they recognize in us that God really matters? So I can't answer that question for you. I don't know what your days look like. I don't know if it matters to you that God has spoken an identity over you so that every day you can fulfill and live out that identity by allowing his hands, his heart, his mouth to be expressed through you. I don't know. I can't make that judgment for you. I don't know whether the fact that you were made in the image of God makes any difference to you or not. So that every day when somebody looks at you, they will see the image of God. That's the only way that you'll be able to say that what God has done for me and in me matters. As a believer, am I going to live every day by faith so that the life that I'm living by faith, the obedience that that brings, will tell others that God matters to me? The fact that we are an earthen vessel designed to be filled with His presence. If I choose not to let Him be, to fill me each day and to express His stuff through me and be hung up on the things, the anger, the bitterness, the frustration, the weariness, and all the things 
that my life can certainly put on display, then I will say that my life and all the frustration of it matters more than the fact that God gave me victory over those things and I can live in the fullness of it. And then do I live according to the personal message that God has established in me? Can people see? Do people know as they visit with me? Can they tell that my name is wisdom? Can they tell that your name is love or peace or joy? Can they tell that you're a warrior? Not because you've got it written across your forehead, but because you've got it written across your heart. Does God matter to you? Can't answer. The encouragement that I hope that you will take away from this is that if you choose today to let him matter, then you'll recognize that it's going to show right here. It's going to show in my life. It's going to show in my interactions with other people. It's going to show as I give, as I share, as I love, as I teach, as we minister together. It's going to show, and others are going to know. Who am I? God has demonstrated it greatly. Who is he? Our lives should demonstrate it greatly. We have an opportunity on any given day as a matter of surrender to let him live through us and announce to the world he matters to me. And he says, I'll not only change your present and your future, I'll give you back the years that the locusts have devoured. Joel chapter 2, I'll give you back those years. Everything you count as loss, I'll give it back to you as gain. As God, I can do it. I promise I will. The choice is simply yours. I don't have a plan for this morning up here. What, I don't know what has even hit your heart. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're challenged. I hope the conversation that has gone on in my head continues in your head. The conversation that's been going on in my heart, I hope it continues in yours. I would love for you to process this, consider this, understand this, be challenged by it. And let God make the difference and let us announce to the world, it's not this church that matters, it's not the pastor. What matters to me is God. Just a little picture that entered my head, and it was, it was just this, that there are some who would absolutely say, look at my life and recognize that God matters. But upon just a careful examination of that, they recognize that their life has drifted. There's not a sharp cliff of a problem that they would certainly recognize, I've done something wrong. They just recognize that their life has drifted. And it was such a slow change that they're having to examine now. Whoever you are, you're having to examine now. This reality that I've drifted a lot further than I thought. Because if you hear my words, I say God matters. If you look at where I've drifted, you'll know that He doesn't. I would just ask you this this morning. I don't know who you are. And God's just asking you to pay attention to that this morning. I just want to share the, the, the last point in the, from the sermon about our identity and, and how is there evidence of that in our lives. That's a message that God has been working on in my life, maybe over the last six months. As I journal, I look back and during the sermons, as, as, as God speaks, I look back and that's a message He's been placing on my heart and saying, you know I call you wise teacher. And how, how is there any evidence of that in your life? He's not saying there's none. Even when he put that question before me, he wasn't saying there is no evidence. But he was saying, how, what is it? Where are people seeing that in your life? And over the course of a couple of Sundays, I could see myself preaching um, before groups of people and not knowing how that would come about or what that would look like, um, but just saying, kind of just in my, in my spirit, just saying yes, not going to seek, not seeking it out, 
but just putting it before the Lord that here's my yes, that whenever that comes, here's my yes. But this week, as I as I sat listening to the sermon, God showed me how through this past week, how that identity, how people have seen the evidence of that identity in me. And he was showing me from person to person. He took me back to this moment. I was getting my hair cut this week. And y'all know Jamie that cuts my hair. She's come to church her son. But as I, I stepped to the bathroom before she cut my hair, and it hit me that she was, she was wanting to hear a word from the Lord. And I thought, I have nothing. I have nothing to give her. I have nothing to offer and that name that God speaks over me, it was spoken again as I, as I stepped out of the bathroom. And it was like, well, okay, yes, but I have nothing to offer her. I mean, I knew it when I stepped into her house. And she started cutting my hair and, you know, the things that were on her heart, she started talking about. And God began to speak. I opened my mouth in obedience and God began to speak. He spoke the, the word about true repentance and what that looks like. He just kept giving me these words, and I was thinking, if we don't, if I don't pursue the Lord, if I don't come to church, if I don't seek to hear His word, then when I'm ready to be obedient, there's nothing there. I haven't been filled. I don't have a word from the Lord on my heart to share to share with someone else. And then I have a mentee that I kind of I have have an instructor that I'm mentoring. She's new, and that was another moment that God showed me this week. I was ready to kind of give up on her, and as I met with her yesterday, God gave me a word for her. And he told me to speak to her identity. So I asked her what her biggest challenges were. And she told me and I said, and it hit me, it's because she doesn't know her identity. And so I began to speak to that. But God was showing me that in small ways there has to be an evidence. Because he's given me this bigger picture that I want to be obedient to. But if I'm not being obedient to those, in those small ways that God's saying, okay, begin to let that evidence show of who you are, of who I call you. Then that way, when it's when it is when I do present you with that option, the thing that you've seen, there will already be an evidence of that identity in your life. But I hope that's encouraging. I really have been seeking um, to answer that question. It keeps coming back up in sermons in strange ways, but this one very pointed today to the question that God's been putting before me. So I wanted to encourage you with that. That it's happening in small ways. Just ask God to show you and to recognize. Just say, okay, this is who I am. I'm ready. Let me give you an illustration of something. When Kate comes up and shares, and this isn't because she's my daughter, that we kind of separate for that. But when she comes up and shares, I've had many of you come up to say to me, what a blessing it is when she shares. What just happened? When she stood up and spoke, what did you see? God matters. What if she stayed quiet? You wouldn't have seen it. One of these days, God is going to loose your tongue, and you're going to come and stand, and no one's going to be able to silence you. There's so many who are so hesitant to let God be seen because their mouth is sealed, their, their tongue is quiet. And God's saying, one day I'm going to open it and they're going to know I matter. Thank you, Kate. Jay, let's sing praise the Lord just for a second, okay?